Hello and welcome to the Soulful Valley podcast. If you're a regular listener, thank you for listening and supporting this podcast. If you're new here and don't know me yet, I'm your host, Katie Carey, independent publisher of books that matter and an international best-selling author. And of course, the host of this globally ranked podcast. I help metaphysical coaches and healers gain confidence, clarity, raise their visibility and their credibility, giving them the opportunity to shine their light brighter so that the people they are here to serve can find them. I do this by creating opportunities for them to become best-selling authors in my multi-author and solo book projects. I also offer one-to-one mentorship services to help spiritual business owners find and unlock their limiting beliefs. In this podcast, I'll be sharing wisdom from myself, coaches, authors and energy healers that could be just what you need to transform your life today. You can connect with me via the Contact Katie button at my website at www.soulfulvalley.com. We have two multi-author book collaborations launching in the spring. Entangled No More, Women Who Broke Free from Toxic Relationships Building Their Own Empires, and the second book in the series, Evolving on Purpose, Co-Creating with the Divine. If you're a holistic coach or healer and would love to become a best-selling author this spring, come over and connect with me at soulfulvalley.com for details on how to apply. Christina Mandlachiani is an entrepreneur, international speaker, artist and mum of two. She started her career in a government office in her native Estonia and by her mid-twenties achieved a level of success mostly known to male politicians at the end of their careers. It was shortly after that Christina and her husband Vishen founded Mind Valley. From a small meditation business that was operating out of the couple's apartment in New York, the company quickly grew into a global educational organisation, offering top training for peak human performance to hundreds of thousands of students all around the world. Christina helps her students to virtually hack happiness by taking them through her unique framework. Her personal life is as rich and plentiful, if not more, as her professional life. Whether it's singing her two children to sleep, playing the harp, or going offline in the Amazon jungle, Christina is set on taking in every moment and invites us to do the same. Welcome to the Soulful Valley podcast, Christina! Hi, nice to to be here. It's awesome to have you. I've been following you for a while anyway, so when I saw that you'd applied to be on this podcast... Wow, yes, I need to have this conversation with Christina, especially around the theme of self-love, because this podcast is very much about self-love. I'm honoured to have you here. So Christina, for our audience, can you let them know who you are and what you do in the world? It's, you know, it's such a hard question, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) So an official answer is I'm a co-founder of Mindvalley and I'm an author and a speaker. So that's the official answer, but I prefer saying I'm an everyday life philosopher. I'm really excited that you're here because I've been a Mind Valley student for a few years. You've been, I've watched you grow from being quite small to being who you are today. And so that was really exciting for me to see you here. And one of the things that impacted 
some of my life changes recently were a program that you've got called Lifebook and Lifebook Mastery, which it made me make a lot of changes in my life. I know that you're all about self-love and acceptance, and I love that, that you're on this podcast to talk about that. What's the importance, do you think, of being able to accept ourselves? Uh, so first of all, thank you for being a Mind Valley student. It's uh, it's it's a pleasure and it's uh, it's a privilege. Thank you. As for the question, it's interesting the way you phrase it. You said I'm all about self love, <laughs> and I was wondering. It's it sounds so interesting to 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 be all about self love. I actually do think that, and I'll I'll make a very philosophical statement right now. But I believe that uh, anyone's let's say your relationship with the world is usually the reflection of your relationship with yourself. So I I know it's a very big statement for the start of the podcast I usually come to that at the end of if I if I have a speech or a workshop but that's really the reason why I talk about self-love because I think it's that relationship which shapes all the other relationships in your life and if that relationship is like they say on Facebook complicated <laughs> then uh, consequently your relationship with the world is con- uh, is complicated so I believe it is the basis for a meaningful happy fulfilled uh, successful life and I know the importance of this because I spent a lot of years where I, I wasn't very loving to myself I gave to everybody around me I ran myself into the ground until the point that I was disabled and it was after finally closing the door on a really toxic relationship that I turned everything around to starting to love me and remember who I was and what I needed and wanted to be in the world so I know it's made a massive change in my life and to my success over the last year and a half just because I started to actually care about myself finally and a lot of a lot of women in particular in the world live like this. We put people first. We put the other relationships around us first. Have you got a story to share that, that links with that? You know, I always have stories. <laughs> but when it comes to that, yes, it is the way we are brought up, especially in, uh, let's say, in the Western culture, because uh, we have to admit that the world is big and, and not every, every corner of the world has the same philosophy in life, obviously. But uh, in the cultural context where we speak, uh, well, the, the most... <laughs> famous culture of affluent western countries there is this idea that uh, you have to put uh, others first and uh, another topic that i really have been researching for a long time is happiness so if you listen to what people what researchers authors speakers uh, talk about happiness then the idea is very similar the message is very similar don't pursue happiness have a meaning help other people uh, of course there's research that shows that altruism makes you feel happy so we are trained and taught to um, to operate through the lens of how can i help others which is good and uh, not to give wrong impression to people, I've actually spent the first 10 years of my career in nonprofit sector, in charity, in, in doing volunteer work and, and going all around the world, helping uh, marginalized communities. Uh, so I, I get it. But and I'll say the most terrible cliche right now. So <laughs> forgive me for that. But uh, you know what they say on the plane, right? You have to put on your first mask before you help the others. And that's the interesting thing that we can't draw the line. And often the question becomes, uh, when do I, when do I stop? When do I take care of myself? And often there is uh, the feeling of guilt when you do that. And it's not just about altruism. So some people, yes, they think, no, but I should, I, I should think about other people like, oh, I'm miserable, but there are people who are much more miserable than me. I've been in, in, in nonprofit. I know who goes to charity. A lot of people, unfortunately, go into charity to escape from their own pain, to remind themselves that there is more pain out there. And yes, there is more pain out there. But the thing is that 
You see, I, I come back to what I said in the beginning. Your relationship with the world is the reflection of your relationship with yourself. And you cannot, you cannot operate from the Martindon complex for a long time. There is a time and place where sometimes you have to give your last piece of bread, hypothetically speaking, not hypothetically, it's, it's, it's a, an uh, analogy, let's say, or a math- metaphor, but it's not a sustainable way of operation. You can do that occasionally. So I, I like to say that unless you are in, let's say, in rescue services, you it's not very likely that you have to really, well, uh, put other people's lives and safety above your, above your own. And very often, and I can, I can tell you the story as well with that, very often that beautiful story that, but I'm doing it for the others, is actually an excuse not to change anything. And here will come a story, but first I'll tell you another side of that. In business, another thing that feeds or another idea that feeds into us wanting to do things for the others rather than for ourselves is the idea that to, to reach success, you have to hustle. And the hustle is uh, is a status symbol. And hustle is also partially where it's the regime where you're, okay, in altruism, it's another person is more important than you. In the hustle, the big, the big thing, the business, the big idea is more important than you. So whichever way you take, but this idea that, you know, your life doesn't matter and there is something much bigger than you is so prevalent that we feel guilty when we turn the tables. And one of the reasons why people shun the topic of uh, self-love is because they say, yeah, but where's the line between self-love and and selfishness? So I'll drop it here and I'll tell you the story. (laughs) Uh, The story. I was in business um, with, well, I had a different business from Mindvalley and I had a business partner and it was a business in Russia. And my business partner was a friend. Uh, initially, she was a friend. We, for three years, we were doing business. We were miracle children, grew our business really fast. Uh, we're feeling very good. But then something happened in our relationship and we didn't see eye to eye. So it's bad enough and you're not friends anymore. But we actually had such a different mentality that we couldn't agree about anything in business. So from the business point of view, it's really a dead end. And for three years, I didn't dare to, to break the relationship because I've I thought, I have a business to run. I have partners. I have customers. I have authors to publish. I can't do that. What, who cares about how I feel? Yes, I feel miserable. I dread going to work. But the business and the idea and the mission that we have is so much more important than my personal happiness. And that was going on for three years until it became so unbearable that I just couldn't go any further. And I broke it off. It was a really painful, dramatic <laughs> breakup in business. But the interesting thing is that the next day after I said, let's separate to my ex-business partner, I remember waking up and feeling light and feeling that I could achieve anything. It happened to be a really hard time in my business where we were nearly bankrupt. And it was such a weird feeling because the moment when I broke off that painful relationship, I suddenly feel, felt such lightness that I didn't even worry if I'd go bankrupt. Because what I felt is that I can't do anything. Now, I don't have to put all this energy into this relationship and I'm not afraid of anything. And then it dawned on me that the reason that why I was suffering this bad relationship for three years was because I was afraid to stay alone. I was literally plainly scared that I cannot do it uh, by myself, that I need someone. And that someone was a crutch maybe. But the thing is that in real life, that beautiful story that I'm doing it for someone else, for a bigger idea, for the people who are in my business, for my clients, for my authors, it was an excuse 
to me just being afraid of making a very dramatic move, of me being afraid to be alone. And it was such a beautiful story. It was so, it was so easy to tell it to myself. So that's the story to, to accompany. There are so many lessons you can take from that as well, aren't there? And I've been in those sort of cycles myself where I've stayed in a job for seven years too long because something had happened to my boss and I felt guilty leaving her. Then I ran a charity for seven years and I started to get ill quite in the first couple of years of that charity was when my body started to break down, but I didn't pay attention to what was going on with me. And I just carried it on for everybody else until I got to the point where it was like, no, <laughs> you're not doing anybody else any favors. Actually, I think it was when I came to the point of doing life book <laughs> and I would looked at all of these categories in my life and realized what, what I was doing to myself that I was also staying in that relationship. So all of these things that I was entangled in was causing my suffering and my pain, and I wasn't doing anything about it until finally I did. But uh, so many of us get caught up in this, and I was definitely a hustler. I, <laughs> I can't believe how many things I was juggling all at once whilst I was ill, Mm. In, that, in that hustle mode of needing to be successful, needing to have a better life than I had as a child, because in, in childhood we lived in poverty and there was a lot of violence and things. So I was trying to build something different, but crushing my own soul while I was doing it. Oh, well, you know, they say no pain, no gain. And we, and we take it as a, as a rule of life. Yeah. Not anymore. What would you say are the dangers of being caught up in a cycle of perfectionism oh perfectionism is a great story actually you know to end the story that I just shared because I I, I didn't say the most interesting part uh, a few years later one of the uh, one of the women who worked with us uh, through the whole time uh, from the beginning uh, through the breakup with my business partner and then she stayed with me and kept working she told me you were putting up the brave face and we knew that you were doing it for us, but we, it was so hard to work with you guys because you just couldn't escape from that conflict that was always there, which even though it was under the surface. So that's the interesting thing. We sacrifice ourselves for other people without realizing that what we're doing is actually we're doing a disservice to other people. And that's true about a lot of areas. And very often people do react to, you know, to big changes, like when people divorce, for example, what are you doing? Kids are going to suffer. But the truth is, and of course, who am I to say the truth? My, my truth is that if you are unhappy, people who love you suffer. Yeah. Absolutely. Whether you like it or not. So giving your happiness for the sake of other, And that's not to say that if, you know, my kid's life depended on my life, I'd give my life for them. Of course, mm -hmm. of course. But I've lived 44 years in this world. And I know one thing for a fact. It's not very often, unless you're in the rescue services, that you really have to sacrifice your life for someone else. Not very often. And I was born in Soviet Union. I survived the breakup of Soviet Union. That was the time when, yes, it was, uh, it was something that you might have had to do because it's a big change, uh, like global change. But in, in most of our lives, we don't get this kind of situation. So we, we actually tell these stories because they are better to say than, than to say, I'm afraid to do business by myself or whatever it is. I'm afraid to live by myself. I'm afraid to get old by myself whatever it is right nobody else will want me <laughs> exactly yeah 
it is it is scary that's why that's why it's much more pleasant to tell yourself a beautiful story about the sacrifice and again i don't want to generalize i don't believe in in generalization but because i <laughs> i went on the sidetrack i forgot what you asked me i'm really sorry it's okay what are the dangers of being uh, caught up in a cycle of perfectionism? perfectionism <laughs> another good story well, it's not it's it's not an easy thing to to start untangling because perfectionism is is a big topic and a lot of us suffer from perfectionism. Probably similar to to that whole story that we just talked about 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 sacrificing about doing things for the others. Uh, with perfectionism, it's um, you know what they say: the road to hell is paved with good good intentions. <laughs> <laughs> so we do we we are perfectionists out of best intentions, obviously. Yeah. everybody i think it's a natural thing for people we want to be good we want to be better we want to grow and and um we we want to learn and we want to transform into something better and it's it's just this intention to do good and that's why we create this picture of perfection in our heads and there is a concept in relationships and relationships is not my strong side but there is this interesting concept that when you're falling in love with someone uh you uh, you usually have a picture of what it is to, what does it mean to be a perfect love partner uh, or what does it mean for someone else to be your perfect love partner it's it's kind of list whether it's conscious or subconscious but it's a list and you tick off the the you know you check it out like this is true this is true this is true so when you while you're falling in love with that uh, with with a person you have that image of perfection and you usually notice the things which check and you ignore the things which don't so if there are red flags you kind of close your eyes to that and you try to explain that it's not what it is and then after a while after the first uh, few years or i don't know how long it is for for anyone but when the hormones go down and the, the moment infatuate, of infatuation is over you start seeing the person for what the person really is and also, also they start behaving really well yeah. <laughs> they start being themselves <laughs> so there are two options you either keep loving the person the way they are and that's when a true relationship is actually forged or you uh, get disappointed and you go and look for another one and I think exactly the same thing happens with our picture of perfection. We have the picture of perfection. What does it mean to be a perfect Christina? What does it mean? And uh, I check the boxes. So I'm happy and I feel proud and I feel accomplished when the boxes check. And they, when they don't, then it's painful. It, it is really painful. You feel shame. You feel maybe guilt, whatever it is. It's, it's this unpleasant emotion. How, how can I be like that? I'm supposed to be this. And that's where your relationship with yourself has really the same choice. You, you know, you either live with your real person and you love the real person or you get disappointed, but you, you don't get to choose another one. You yeah. just live with the disappointment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's, I think, in a very simple way, what's the perils of perfectionism? It's that I think the perfectionism is the main reason why people have bad relationships with, them, with themselves because they don't, they don't match the picture. But the picture is not real. It's like with a love relationship, it's, it's just an image in your head. It's not a real human being. You can never be that picture. No. Can you share with us your thoughts about chasing success to find happiness? <laughs> That's uh, 
one more of my favorite <laughs> contemporary ideas. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a long story. <laughs> it's a long story. But uh, let's say if you had a choice between being happy and being successful, if, you, uh, if, if I just asked you what would you choose, you would probably say I would rather be happy than successful. Yeah. And a lot of people, I actually did the, the experiment re recently. I asked that question in, um, in, on Instagram. And I got quite a lot of people saying a very smart thing. They said, but being happy is success. <laughs> or how can I be how can I consider myself successful if I'm not happy yet yes in theory that's right but we live in the real world and the real world operates with numbers and success unfortunately is very often a thing about numbers we do consider people successful if they have something tangible to show they have built a business they have uh, built a house they have built a family even if you are taking it quite widely still a successful relationship or something outstanding some kind of I don't know uh, best-selling book we we judge success like that just because it's easier and happiness is something which as I said we often put on the background we say uh, it's not as important it's more important to have a meaningful life and then when you have a meaningful life but you will be happy so we we downgrade happiness to something of a side effect of the life well lived or prize at the end of the journey you know when when you're a child they, they say be a good girl study well go to a good university, get a good degree, get a good job. And it's implied that if you follow this path, you'll be successful sometime eventually at the end because you did all the right things. So that's that's the paradigm in which we grow up and we generally don't question because also uh, success, uh, happiness is not really a very fancy goal. And you can make the experiment. I try to do that as well yeah. and ask people in your life, do you have goals for the year? Can you show me? And I will guarantee that very few, if any people, have the goal for the year 2022 to practice my happiness or to become 10% happier or to just be happy. Very few people actually have happiness in their goal list at all. Mm. I think that goals have to be measurable, tangible. So there is this contradiction, success versus happiness, and we push it to the back, uh, to the back not because we don't value it. I think we do that because we think that happiness is a gamble and success is a much more certain thing. You can create a business plan and follow the business plan and very likely you're going to be if not massively successful, but to some degree successful. With happiness, you think it's a gamble because nobody knows. Nobody knows how to explain happiness. What is it? What does it mean to be happy? So now if I don't ask you that question as abstract as I asked in the first instance, would you choose success over happiness? If I were to ask it differently, you graduate from school, you pick a, a subject in university, what do you want to study? <laughs> so good Asian kids would know that their parents would tell them study, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be an engineer, right? Be a business person, go, go into MBA. Don't, don't do arts. That's not a real profession. Don't go into music. That's not a real profession. So you have a choice. The first choice, success versus happiness. In the West, in the more affluent countries, people are now more and more capable of, or not capable, they have better chances of choosing happiness over success because we have some basic, basic securities. But I lived in Asia for 16 years. There was no question. You choose success because happiness is a gamble and you can't, you can't feed your family with happiness, but you can feed your family with success. We always switch on the rationality. If you're a woman, it's even more difficult because let's say if you're into, if you're Marie Curie and you're into science and you want to study chemis uh, chemistry, you, society will never consider you a success because you never married and never had children. And, so, and they consider you a failure if I've divorced twice now. So there's, you know, people look at me like, she's divorced twice, failure. Yeah, stay in the marriage because that's <laughs> success. 
Divorce may be happiness for some people, yeah. but that's failure. So when we are actually facing the choice between success and happiness, I guarantee that most of the times we'll choose success because we believe that happiness is a gamble. It's better to go for something certain, for a profession which will probably make you money. In music, you have to be a world-class star to make any money. In a divorce, how can a woman who is divorced and doesn't have children, for example, be happy? She can't. So she's obviously a failure. I'm, of course, I'm not being, uh, it's not my opinion. <laughs> As a divorced woman, I just know how it is. But, and, that, and that's the sad thing. Research, though, shows that, well, you don't need research to know that, happen, uh, that success doesn't bring happiness. There are super successful people who, who kill themselves because they are so intensely unhappy. So we know, we know it, yet we, we go into success hoping that, yes, that's the road to happiness and happiness going for happiness is a gamble. But guys, look at the numbers. Going into success is the same kind of gamble. You are not, there is no guarantee you will be successful and there's no guarantee that when you're successful that you'll be happy. It's on top of the Mount Olympus when you've reached all your goals, when you suddenly realize that your goals have not brought you any closer to loving yourself more, to feeling more worthy, to feeling more happy. To feeling more fulfilled. Nothing. You only have reached your goals. You've achieved the, the physical success, but how you treat yourself, how you feel about yourself doesn't change because of your success. Not at all. Because your relationship with the world is a reflection of your relationship with yourself. So it doesn't matter what you have achieved in the world. Your relationship with yourself changes only when you're ready to change your relationship with yourself. So there is research that looks into happiness uh, and success correlation, actually numerous research, not just one paper. And uh, the only correlation that has been found is that people who are happy are much more likely to be successful. That's the only correlation that's out there. So the answer there is, is again, back to the taking care of yourself and looking after yourself first and your needs before you create those big goals. Well, I, I think it's, um, you see, the, the thing about me, I don't believe in absolutes. I think it's, uh, no. <laughs> it's always both. What's, I like how Harvaka put it. What is more important, your hand or your foot? How about both? Both are important. Definitely both are important. But again, the society likes uh, hacks, likes shortcuts, likes very clear recipes. Give me the recipe. I'll follow the recipe because this is logical. This is easy. If I do the steps, if I put the work, if I do the hustle, I, I'm, I'm bound to do that. But that's not how life works. It doesn't work like that. So that's why you need both. You do need great goals because if you don't have the big goals, it's there is a reason why you don't have big goals because you're afraid of something. You're afraid to go out. Like in my case, I had such beautiful explanations because I was afraid to be in business alone. And that's why I, I was okay to be in the status quo and in, in not being able to decide anything about business and the business going into nearly bankruptcy because it was just so scary to take yourself out there and try to see what am I capable of not what I'm worth. I'm worth of all the happiness and success. What am I capable of? So you need the goals. They are an expression of how much you, you, how much you, you believe you're worth, how much you believe you, you love yourself. 
right? It's uh, it's about relationships. It's not really, I, I barely talk about self-care because uh, it's just not my topic. I, mm. I don't get it so well. <laughs> I like to sleep and I like to walk, but I also like, I, I love chocolate and I <laughs> have my glass of wine every once in a while. I'm European. So I'm not the one about self-care, but I like to say this, you know, I charge this device. These are my kids, by the way, not because I love it. I charge it because if I don't charge it, it won't work. What I talk about is a self-love. It's different. It's different from self-care. And we have this beautiful uh, author, you probably know her, Marissa Peer in yeah. Mindbag. Yeah. She talks about you're enough. That's her message, you're enough. So once she was recording a course with us, and I really love this uh, conversation she had with one of the guys from our team. He said, it was a break between the recording. And he said, Marissa, but if I tell myself that I'm enough, am I not going to stay in bed and just say like, enough as I am. I don't need anything. I'm content. She said, no, you stay in bed and do nothing because you don't believe that you're enough. It's because you're afraid to go out and challenge yourself. That's why you stay in bed and tell yourself the story. If you think that you are enough, if you think that you, what, no matter what happens, you'll take yourself, even if it's imperfect, even if you make mistakes, even if you fall, then you'll have the courage to go out and do things. That's when you stop being on the sofa. That's when you, that's when you can't stay content, contained. And that's, I love to compare self-love to our love for children. You know, when a small child grows, how does a child learn the world? They do things and they come and they say, mommy, look, mommy, look. They want reassurance. They want to know that mommy is there. Mommy is there to appreciate, to look, to, to hug them. When they make a mistake, they go for, for consolation because they know that a, a good parent will say, yes, you fell. Let's get back together. Get, get back up and, and, and try, try again, you know? Because that loving parent knows that, uh, that a kid needs support no matter what they do. And then we decline, we, do, we don't give ourselves this kind of love and support. We, we have this picture of perfection. And when we fail, do we say that, yeah, it's okay, it happens. Mm -hmm. I still love you no matter what you've done. Do you think you have it in you to get it back up and go out and do it again? No, we tell ourselves, how could you? You should have done better. Oh, come on, really? You did that? You said that? You made that mistake? And we shame ourselves. As if you can shame yourself into perfection. Mm. Christina, you've got a new book coming out. <laughs> can, can you let us know what it's called and a little bit about it? It's called Becoming Flossom. And I just oh, used wow. the, the word, which, uh, which is uh, not very uh, common, but it essentially means um, being awesome with your flaws. Not despite them, but with your flaws. So it's the anti-perfectionist. Yeah, <laughs> being flawsome is the opposite of being perfect. <laughs> and it's it's literally about, about sorting out the relationship with yourself. And I do talk about relationship with the world, of course, because that's that's a consequence. Once you sort your relationship with yourself, things will start changing in your environment <laughs> because your relationship with the world is a reflection of your relationship with you. Once that relationship changes, your relationship with the world will start changing. So that's what the book is about. And if anyone wants to come and find you, connect with you, where can they do that? It's, uh, well, of course, since I'm the co-founder of Mindvalley, uh, I would say come to Mindvalley. I'm one of the many authors, so you wouldn't see me every day on Mindvalley, but once in a blue moon, you'll see me there. And my own personal Instagram is where, where I communicate uh, most frequently. I don't have a writer, it's me. So it's, it's purely me with no filters. Is there anything else you'd like to share with us today? Be, be happy, be flossom. <laughs>
<laughs> thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Bye for now. Bye. listening to the soulful valley podcast i trust that you will have heard something today that you were ready to hear and that it's made you feel a little lighter more aligned and connected with your soul's purpose and you have been reminded of who you really are and the true nature of the power that you hold within you my aim for this podcast is to bring love light wisdom raise consciousness and ease suffering if you've enjoyed the show go back and listen to some of the back catalogue of previous episodes. Subscribe, follow, rate and review so that you're notified when new episodes drop in and share this podcast with anyone that you think it may help to listen to. You can connect with me at soulfulvalley.com and if you scroll to the bottom of the website, there are links to my social media platforms. When you drive the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power, you can stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see yourself behind the wheel of the brand ranked number one in dependability by J.D. Power. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Kia received the fewest reported problems among all brands in the J.D. Power 2022 U.S. Vehicle Dependability Study based on 2019 models. See JDPower.com awards for 2022 details.